Okay, my friends, welcome to the Made for Greatness podcast, where we seek to unpack what it means to be made for the greatness of God himself and how we can keep doing that on a day-to-day basis. That is seeking more and more of the heart of God and less and less and less and less of ourselves. So let's, let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Father, please come and glorify your name in this episode. Wherever and whenever people are that they're hearing this thing, Father, I pray that they would remember you and your holy face. Forget about this somehow. Whatever that means, Lord, bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to touch base a little bit. It's been a while since I've recorded an episode, quite some time actually. And I want to talk about contemplation. I'm not going to talk about about how to contemplate or the importance of contemplation and prayer, but I want to talk about this principle that helps guide my life in in purging myself of the vinegar in my life, which is a quote from St. Augustine, what you contemplate, you'll become. So the title of this episode is going to be you build it and they'll come something from that baseball movie with Kevin Costner. He, he gets inspired to build this baseball field for these ghosts to play in. And it becomes just a, a phenomenal film about just moving beyond other people's criticisms. So you build it, they'll come, you contemplate, you're going to become it. I think there's a relation. Now this first, this idea first came to me on, on uh, July 14th. And then July 14th, we celebrated in the new Roman calendar, St. Kateri, Tekawitha, and Camillus de Lelis. Forgive me if I'm saying that last name wrong. Now, interestingly enough, I did not plan this, but today, being the 18th of July, happens to be the old calendar's day to celebrate St. Camillus. So I'm going to read from the lives of the saints on St. Camillus. Please bear with me here. Let's read this together. St. Camillus of Lelis. The early years of Camillus gave no sign of sanctity. Gosh, can you imagine? I'm sure my life is the same. The many years of Kevin's life gave no signs of sanctity. At the age of 19, he took service with his father, an Italian noble against the Turks. And after four years hard campaigning, found himself through his violent temper, reckless habits, and inveterate passion for gambling. He found himself to be a discharged soldier and in such straitened circumstances that he was obliged to work as a laborer on a Capuchin convent, which he was then building. Few words from a Capuchin friar brought about his conversion, and he resolved to become a religious with the Capuchins. Thrice he entered the Capuchin novitiate, but each time an obstinate wound in his leg forced him to leave. He repaired to Rome for medical treatment, and there he took St. Philip as his confessor and entered the hospital of St. Giacomo, of which he became in time the superintendent. The carelessness of the paid chaplains and nurses towards the suffering patients now inspired him with the want of founding a congregation to minister to their wants. With this end, he was ordained a priest, and in 1586, his community of the servants of the sick was confirmed by the Pope. Its usefulness was soon felt not only in hospitals, but in private houses. Summoned at every hour of the day and night, the devotion of Camillus never grew cold. With a woman's tenderness, he attended to the needs of his patients. He wept with them, consoled them, and prayed with them. He knew miraculously the state of their souls, and St. Philip saw angels whispering to two servants of the sick who were consoling a dying person. One day a sick man said to the saint, Father, may I beg you to make up my bed? It is very hard. Humilis replied, 
God forgive you, brother. You beg me. Don't you know that you are to command me and I am your servant and slave? Would to God, he would cry, that in the hour of my death, one sigh or one blessing of these poor creatures might fall upon me. His prayer was heard. He was granted the same consolations in his last hour, which he had so often procured for others. In the year 1614, he died with the full use of his faculties after two weeks saintly preparation. As the priest was reciting the words of the ritual, may Jesus appear to thee with a mild and joyful countenance. Amen. St. Camillus, please pray for us. Well, let's, let's connect the film to this message of contemplation. If you build it, they will come, is one of the iconic lines from this film and Field of Dreams. And the film really is about his son's relationship with his dad and how he want, they, they end up bonding or they had a bond around baseball. And for some reason or another, if I remember the story correctly, uh, there was a falling out in their relationship and the dad died with the son not being able to reconcile. And so he wanted to somehow, he had this, this sense of disconnect between his life and his dad and wanted to reconcile it. And he heard this voice and inspire him to build a baseball diamond in the middle of a field. And it really had no rhyme or reason for building this baseball diamond in a field other than the ended purpose being reconciling him with his dad. And so it's really kind of a beautiful, fantastical story. I love this idea of it being about him reconciling with his dad around the game of baseball and around some of his dad's favorite baseball characters or players. Rather, these were real players. This voice spoke about if you build it, they will come is almost in a way realizing his his vision and making it happen or in our sense today, acknowledging his contemplation, what he contemplates about and it becoming a reality for him. That's really what I, what I want to narrow down. As I mentioned, I don't want this. Is, this isn't about how to pray. This isn't about how to contemplate on or true on scripture, which I think is really, really important to do every single day. But rather, the things that we chew on inside our minds become a reality. And I think that this, this line from Field of Dreams encompasses, for me anyway, this activity of us making these things that are imaginary or contemplated about a reality in our lives. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. One of the ways that I allow contemplation to dictate my life is a negativity of my own self. I have a hard time receiving compliments because of this low opinion of my own self. I think that if somebody's con con complimenting me, that somehow they must be lying at heart or they don't really mean it or they're being insincere, basically accusing the other people of lying. When I hear these words, I reject them completely because of this notion that I have in my own mind of me being not worthy of any of this stuff and me being an abject failure in everything that I touch. So, so what happens? I mean, is it the chicken or the egg? Does it happen that as I contemplate these things, I do become a failure in everything that I touch? Everything that I touch seems to crumble. And, and I mean this, I'm, I'm talking here. I, it feels that way, that everything I touch seems to crumble. And so is that crumbling because I am contemplating about it and thinking about it all the time? Or is it just, is it the semblance of crumbling around me created by my contemplation? Because that's all I want to see is the negatives around me, and I have a hard time seeing the positives around me, simply because my contemplation is about negativity towards myself. 
So if I, if I think of these negative things about myself all the time, I'm going to see nothing but negative things. And anything that is, is remotely positive about me, I reject it completely. But you contemplate, you become. If you build it, they will come. That's the connection point here for me with this line. If I build this world up in my mind around this character caricature of myself and others, it's going to become a reality. You know, not so much that I'm creating things around me to happen. Maybe subconsciously, you can probably say something like that. But it's also, it's my perception of things and my interpretation of things. I'm not going to go off on a massive tangent, but this in this interpretation of things, we you know, one example of how it it trips us up is in scripture. We read into scripture exactly what we want to see and read and hear. Where that's not exactly what God wants us to see, what he wants us to hear, and what he wants us to read. He wants us to hear his heart. He wants us to see his beauty and his works all around us. And he wants us to hear his voice. And to read the golden thread of salvation history that led up to wherever you are in your life to, to today from thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. All of salvation history, this is cool. All of salvation history was, was done, and this golden thread was weaved throughout it all because of you, because God loves you. And if you were the only one on this planet, he would do it all over again because he loves you, and he will, he will run on the water. He will climb every single mountain. He will make the, the valleys high and the, and the high plains low so that he can easily run to you, and you can easily find him. If you seek him with all of your heart, he will let you find him because he loves you. Isn't this beautiful? But in yet my negative contemplation about myself almost stunts my growth in the spirit. It stunts my growth in society amongst my peers and people who, who work with me or that I work with. You know, one example I can think of recently, this gentleman, um, a good friend and good mentor. I love this man so much. And he um, complimenting me. And I just said, listen, you know, I have such a hard time hearing that because I just think that I'm a, a nothing but a total failure and a loser. And there's just, I just don't, I just, I, I can't, I have such a hard time hearing what you're saying. And I've said this to him before, and I don't know if he was actually frustrated or not, but I perceived, perceived frustration in his voice when he said, listen, man, this is not true. You are good, and the things that you do are good. And I mean, I, if I was in his shoes, I'd be frustrated too for someone I love who is just unable to receive any compliments that I can give him. So bless him, dear Father. Bless that man. So that's uh, that's one thing that I want to share with you regarding contemplation and how it can really become a detriment to our lives when we just contemplate about about a negative thing on ourselves. Another way that that we got to caution ourselves to contemplation is within sin. And what you contemplate, you become. It's, it's almost like it's not that you become sin, but it becomes the thing that you see in any given situation is that sin that you contemplate out, contemplate about the most. Now, I'm going to stop this new recording, and I'm going to go back to the previously recorded episode. So it might sound like a bit of a disconnect. But I'm going to start talking about sin and how sin distorts our perception of God. And, you know, before I do that, something profound happened to me the other day. 
and I wasn't really like I, you know, I'm. It's been a while since I've been to confession, and I find somehow in my own life when it has been a while, I just I'm just feeling so heavy with sin. It's almost like a sponge that's just been so soaked with this liquid that it can't possibly take anymore. Sometimes I just feel as heavy as a wet sponge with sin. And confession is such a beautiful thing that I get to go there and I get that sponge wrung out and all that sin released. So it, it uh, I was sitting there and I remember just feeling inspired with something and I, and it was definitely God talking to me about a certain situation, something that I am contemplating about. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I was just, I just kind of stopped what I was doing and I, and I almost started to cry my response to this consolation I was receiving was just, God, here I am soaked with all of this sin. And there you are still using me just to advance your kingdom. And I had just this sense of complete unworthiness, this abject poverty in my own life with regards to, to being useful in God's kingdom. And here he is pouring out his grace into my life anyway and encouraging me to continue to be useful in his kingdom. And it, it did move me to tears. You know, not full on dripping tears, but emotions were swelling in my heart and it was hard to, to continue. I just had to pause. Because I, I think I look at my sin in the same way that I look at my own weaknesses and my own, you know, failing of character or whatever caricature I have of myself that's, that's, that's less than the, the reality Whatever character I have in myself, I just I just have a, such a hard time believing that God would ever want to use me, knowing that I'm just so saturated with whatever it is I'm saturated with. So let's, you know, I think it's such a good thing, a beautiful thing to allow ourselves to be soaked and saturated with the power of God, with his anointing, with his love. That when people look at us, what they what they see is the face of God. And when they listen to us, what they hear is the heart of God. And I, I might sound like a daunting task, but in the film, for example, Kevin Costner just started working. And eventually the, 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 the field of dreams was made. And then eventually these old players, these old ghosts came to play. And then eventually he reconciled with his dad. So don't, don't allow what you're contemplating to disable you from being reconciled with your own dad, your earthly father, with your own mom, your earthly mom, with your own family, your kids, your wife, your husband, your friends. Instead, allow yourself to be purged of whatever it is that you're contemplating that's negative. I think the second part of this story has to be an acknowledgement of how sin, contemplation of sin, and particular activities within sin and how these things distort our perception of reality. So let's continue to the rest of the story. And the thing that, that, that the example that I want to use, and it's probably not a, not a popular one for me to use, but an example I want to use is pornography and how it manipulates our mind to see only certain things as, as detached from the person across from us or the person that we're looking at looking at uh, a beauty of a person, a beauty of someone's body. If all I'm looking at is these images that are separated from, 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 from people, I wouldn't be surprised if my inclination is to go to those parts of that body that I'm most 
that I've most contemplated. It's, it's, it's like I've trained my mind to look at these things in certain ways. It's like I've trained my mind to perceive and read situations from its, whether it's lustful or gossip worthy or slanderous. I've trained my mind to look for these things as a default mode. And instead, what we need to do is to try really hard to get that vinegar out of our hearts, the vinegar of gossip, the vinegar of slander, vinegar of lust and pornography, all these things. Purge these things from our hearts and ask God to help us with that. You know, over it's like muscle memory to our brain. I'm watching this and I think about this all the time. And, I, and many hours are spent into this thing, looking at or thinking about and reading and whatever it is, I'm spending hours and hours of my of my attention solely onto this thing. And it trains my mind to look for this thing because that thing that gives me some sort of a pleasure, you know, it doesn't have to be lustful pleasure. It's pleasure from, from being the top dog because I've slandered somebody else or gossiped about that somebody. Whatever it might be, our minds become wired in these ways. And, you know, there's probably a lot of things we can do to help unwire our minds in this way. I think the main thing that we can do is just ask God for healing and help. Ask God for for really a, a sincere honesty with ourselves. Acknowledging our weaknesses. Acknowledging that on one hand, I can convince myself of pretty much anything. Acknowledging that that I want God to convince me of what he wants to convince me of. And not really getting in his way or trying really hard, deliberately choosing, deliberately choosing not to get in his way of moving freely in my life. And I, and I, one of my favorite scripture verses is from Jeremiah chapter 29. And yeah, it's part of that whole cliche, you know, I know well the plans I have for you. I, I love that whole section, but the next verse, next couple of verses I really, really like. I'm going to paraphrase I've written here above my, above my computer, above my laptop. It says, if you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me. And seeking God with all of our heart, I think it implies being purged of this vinegar, being purged of the ways that we contemplate things that are base, things that are beneath us. Being uh, Seeking God with all of our heart is acknowledging those ways that I seek out whatever sort of pleasure it is. Or that my default mode is gossip, or my default mode is is looking at a, a person's body and detaching certain parts of it for my own gratification. If that's my default mode, part of seeking God with all of my heart implies that I got to surrender that, acknowledge that part, and surrender to Him. I don't think it's impossible. Obviously, nothing is impossible with God. I also don't think it's difficult. Well, it could be challenging, very challenging, but it's not difficult in the sense that it's impossible because God will give us the grace that that we need to get through this stuff. You know, I've heard stories of people having severe alcoholics, having these, these conversion experiences or healing moments within their spiritual journey of just complete healing from this addiction. So if God can do that with people that have substance abuse issues, then certainly God can do that with people who, who have, let's say, muscle memory issues. So please, God, please come. Heal my mind of this muscle memory that I have. 
Let my default mode be looking at the beauty of your creation. Let my default mode not, not become looking for the negatives of somebody's life. Let my default mode not become wanting to gossip and talk about people behind their back in such a way that it hurts their reputation or, or hurts that person or degrades me and my own dignity. Seeking God with all of our hearts means acknowledging all of this stuff. And it's not like it has to be overly complicated. It just could very simply be, you know, Father, <laughs> I need more of you and less of me. Show me how to do it in this instance. It's real simple. But whatever it is, how, whatever it is that, that your muscle memory leads you to, and in whichever situation that you find yourself in, whatever it is, and however you want to word this, the heart of it needs to be, Jesus, I want to seek you with all of my heart. Let me find you. Our default mode in any given situation needs to be, where is the heart of Jesus in this? How can I hear his heartbeat? Am I going to hear his heartbeat in the gossip? Am I going to hear his heartbeat in the, in the picky partiness of pornography? Am I going to hear his heartbeat in the slander? Or am I going to hear his heartbeat in the goodness of a situation, in the goodness of creation, in the goodness of, of God's children? So ask him to heal you wherever you are. Because he has a, a beautiful plan for your life. Yeah, we've fallen short of it. Yeah. Like St. Camillus, he fell short of it. There's nothing in his early life that, that would have pointed to a saintly, a, a saintly lifestyle. Nothing. We've all done that. But thanks be to Jesus who redeemed us through his cross, his death and his resurrection. And it, it's by his cross and resurrection, you and I are now healed. And we have access to this dunamis of God, this, this power that God has given us to really advance his kingdom throughout the world, to really be transformed internally and externally so we can help transform other people to the fullness of their potential. All right? Remember, my dear friends, the world offers you comfort. The world wants you to stay in your default muscle memory. It's pleasurable. It's easy. It's fun. But that's not what you're made for. You're not made for the comforts that the world offers you. You are made for the greatness of God himself and nothing less than that. And God bless you. I'm praying for you.